0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, the 15th chapter. Chapter 15 and 16 go quite well together, so I would like, if I am able to, to join the two tonight. Chapter 15 only has eight verses, and the 16 is quite larger. But anyway, let's look at chapter 15, verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now this uh, judgment, or all these judgments, these seven last judgments, seven last plagues that are about to be poured out are called a sign. You know, they're signs and wonders. And they're called the seven last plagues, or the the final plagues. That means that they will finish the judgments of God. That when these are over, His judgments will be accomplished. Last means to perform, to finish, to accomplish. And these seven angels with the seven plagues, of course, as they uh, pour out their vials, or bowls of wrath, upon the... Earth we'll find and well some of them poured out against the Sun too, and we'll get to that one when we get in the sixteenth chapter, but as they pour out these judgments upon the earth, this will finish the judgments of God. However, when we read of it it's not finished because chapters seventeen and eighteen conclude the the things that happened to Babylon and and uh, chapter 19 begins to show Christ coming in power and great glory, which will be the finish of all the judgments when he comes at the battle of Armageddon, which is also pictured in the 16th chapter. So as we say that they pour out all these plagues and judgments upon the earth, they're finished and yet they're not complete until we read the 18th and 19th chapter because those are included in the finish of the judgments. We've told you time and again that what happens in chapter 12, 13, 14 is not finished. It may be announcing something that's going to happen, and it speaks of it anticipating a completion of it. So you have to keep that in mind when you're studying the book of Revelation, or else you'll be lost. So, this sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up, The wrath of God, it it will be finished. The wrath of God will be finished upon the earth. In verse 2, And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now in the last chapter, I believe we pointed out those that had the, the harps of God. In verse 2, I heard a voice from heaven, that's 14 verse 2, as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. We have come to believe that these are the martyrs of the great tribulation period. Not only are they, in chapter 14 verse 2, singing a song of victory that they had gotten through the uh, blood of the Lamb and through the Word of God, but here they are seen. They are seen in fifteen, verse two, standing upon a sea of glass mingled with fire. Someone might say, "Well, what does this sea represent?" We've talked about it before in the fourth chapter, in verse six, where it represents a sea, and it's a labor actually. It speaks of a place uh, to wash. It's connected with the Old Testament. Let me read. Two verses of scripture, two passages of scripture for you. One of them is in Second uh, Chronicles four six, and by the way, it's it's kind of unique that it's uh, Revelation four six as well. So you look at Revelation four six and also Second Chronicles four six. I don't know how it happened that way, and I'm not going to make a big uh, thing out of it, but it just makes it easier to remember. So in Revelation 4:6 it says, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in Second Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 6 it says this, and this is what Solomon made in the temple. He said he made ten lavers and put five on the right hand and five on the left to wash in them such things as they offered uh, for the burnt offering. They washed in them, but the sea. The sea, sea, was for the priest to wash in. So it was a labor. It was a brazen labor. It was a place where there was water to wash. The priest would wash their hands in the and their feet. And if you turn back to uh, the book of uh, uh, Exodus, when it was in the tabernacle, when God instituted it at the beginning before the temple came along, uh, the tabernacle days. Well, God told uh, Moses to build in. Chapter 30, if you will. Chapter 30, verses 17 through 19, to be good. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a labor, here you have it, the labor of brass. It's all the same thing. Uh, And his foot also of brass, to wash withal, to wash. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar that was out in front of the tabernacle. There was a brazen altar first and then the front of the tabernacle. And this laver was between. After they had uh, prepared their sacrifices on the brazen altar, they came and they washed in this brazen laver before they came in. A laver of brass. And was filled with water. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacles of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. So when we come over here in Revelation. That we're reading. Chapter 15 verse 2. John says. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now the Bible teaches that the washing that we have is symbolical of the Word of God. The washing of water by the Word, the Scripture says. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. So, cleansing from the Word. The same meaning is here. So, I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. This sea is a labor then. And it's a labor that was used... In the temple, as we've already pointed out, to cleanse the hands and the feet of the priest. And by the way, the hands and the feet are symbolical of what? Work and walk. Our work needs to be clean and our walk needs to be clean. And these that were before this, this, uh, standing on this sea of glass, I want you to notice something. If this represents the Word of God and cleansing by the Word, and here it's, uh, they, need no, uh, not, they don't need any more cleansing because they're holy and they're in God's presence. But they're standing on this sea of glass, implicating that it's the solid uh, foundation of the Word of God that gave them victory over their enemies during the... A tribulation period. And even though many, even though they were killed, they still had the victory because they won the victory through their faithfulness in Christ and they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. So they really won the victory because they stood for the word of God and they were glorified and they were, you'll see all of it coming together as you get these thoughts in your mind. Let's read verse two again and you'll see it. And I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire. By the way, fire represents the Word. We'll give you that in a moment. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image, see, they had failed to take the mark of the beast because they stood upon God's Word and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. So they were harping with their harps. They were uh, victorious over the... Uh, onslaughts of Satan. They had refused the mark of the beast and they withstood because of the word of God. We said the fire represents the word of God. Look in the book of Jeremiah, if you will, chapter 23. You don't have to look. I'll just read it for you. It says in verse 29, Jeremiah 23, verse 29, Is not my word like as a fire? Saith the Lord. So that Sea of glass, that labor represents the Word of God. Here the Word of God is spoken of as like a fire. And he continues to say, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. We could go back and show you all the various symbols of the Word of God. It's symbolized by water. It's symbolized by uh, a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And various other things. Uh, We might say also that James in writing says, when you go and look in the mirror or the, 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 uh, the uh, mirror of God's Word and you see yourself, it's, it reveals what you are. It's like a mirror that reveals our condition. You know, it says if a man goes and beholds his natural face in a glass and, and goeth his way, uh, not considering what manner of man he was. He's not paying any heed to what he sees. If you go in the mirror and you see the mirror and you see smudges all over your face, you say, Well, that's all right. I'm not going to wash my face. Well, you see smudges all over yourself when you look into God's Word and say, I'm not going to do anything about it. But he says, Be ye hearers of the Word and not, I mean, be you doers of the Word and not hearers only. If you hear it, you do something about it when you see these frailties and these uh, things wrong with you. Uh, by the way, it's a peculiar thing that the brass that was, the, that was used in the Old Testament was used to make mirrors for the ladies to look into. So, uh, it's, it's symbolical of a lot of things. So, we look into our own situation. Look at verse 2 again. I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten victory over the beast and over His image, and over His mark, and over the number of His name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of of God. By the way, if you can learn to stand on the Word of God, regardless of all the emotions, regardless of all the anxieties, regardless of all the various religious uh, factions that we have in the world today, and you take your stand upon what God has said, you'll always be safe. But there are so many people that say, well, you know, these people believe this, well... Is it, is it scriptural? Does it have a solid foundation? And if the Word of God is not, is not its foundation, it's very flimsy. I wouldn't depend on it. But if, if, it's, if God's Word is the foundation of it, you can depend upon it. Now, verse 3 says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, Saying, great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Now, what are they singing? They're singing the song of Moses, the servant of God. This connects them. This indicates Israel. This indicates God's chosen people during this tribulation tribulation period. And they also sing the song of the Lamb. Meaning that they have recognized that the Lord is their Savior. They've turned to God in faith, they've accepted their Messiah, they've received Christ, so they can sing not only the song of Moses, the servant of God, connecting them with their previous history, but they can sing the song of what? Of the Lamb. Because these were believing Jews. They were, these were believing Israel. Especially Israel. There were others, uh, Gentile believers during the tribulation as well. And Gentile uh, uh, martyrs as well. So they sing of their earthly deliverance. That's Israel. And they sing of their spiritual deliverance. Put these two things down beside your margin. The, uh, singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, means their earthly deliverance. Singing the song of the Lamb means their spiritual deliverance. And what are they saying? What are they singing? Great and marvelous are thy works. Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. You have three names here for God. Lord God Almighty. And each one of them are meaningful. Lord means Jehovah, the self-existent and eternal one. And then God, Elohim, the strong and mighty one. And then Almighty is S-H-A-D-D-A-I, shaddah or Shaddah, some others say. And he means this, this means the sustaining and nourishing one. Let me give you those again. Lord means Jehovah, the self-existent and eternal one. God, Elohim, the strong and mighty one. And then uh, Almighty, S-H-A-D-D-A-I, Shaddah the sustaining and nourishing one. So they are singing to God in all the various aspects of His name and title and power and existence. They are attributing all to to God in this fashion. And they are there in glory, standing upon the sea of glass, already in God's presence, already delivered from the earthly hurts of this uh, tribulation period that they will be Saved by their lives and not take the mark of the beast, and they'll be in God's presence uh, throughout eternity. It says, Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. In verse 4, it says, Who sh-, it says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, God only is the Holy One. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. They're predicting. As they know it will be, that all nations at the end of this uh, particular tribulation period, and at the time that God causes all nations to come before Him and worship, after the judgments are all uh, said and done, He says, All nations are going to, they say, All nations are going to come and worship before Thee. All people. For Thy judgments are made manifest. God is going to make known His judgments. Now, verse 5, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having uh, their breasts girded with golden girdles. The seven angels are seen proceeding out of the temple. As we read, you can... uh, but time you get to the chapter, chapter sixteen verse one, you'll see that there's time for them to have this silence and maybe a little bit of love between the time that they have received these. Remember in verse one, here comes the seven angels having the seven last plagues in verse one, and now it continues to tell about these plagues of judgments that they have. Remember we pointed out earlier where they there was. Uh, the things that were to be poured out upon the, the earth. And there was a silence just before the storm. I see, I think we found that in chapter, what was it, 8? In chapter 8, verse 1, And when he had opened the seventh seal, at the beginning of the opening of the the, seals, the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. So, even here, you can sense that there is a silence or a little lull between them pouring out their vials or judgments, plagues, and the time that they receive them. It's not mentioned here a half an hour space, though you can just read it. But I want you to notice uh, some things about verse 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple having seven plagues, clothed in pure white and white linen. What is pure and white linen? Symbolical of righteousness, of holiness, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. This is divine righteousness. Pure and white linen. And this divine righteousness, the girdles that these angels are wearing, demands judgment. When, when you find people that are perfectly righteous, and here are the angels come with divine righteousness, clothed in purity and holiness and righteousness, then when they look upon an ungodly world that has to be judged, it, what, it almost cries out for justice and judgment, doesn't it? We have the same thing today. Even uh, that's supposed to be our purpose over there in uh, Yugoslavia today. That when we look upon the evil that's being perpetrated, it cries out for judgment. Judgment. It cries out for something to be done. And how much more when God sees it. We see it as men. And we overlook a lot of things. And yet we can detect it from time to time. And I'm not going into whether it's good or bad or the plan or whatever is going on. But we do know that that wickedness and and murder and and, uh, killing people deserve someone's attention to put a stop to it, doesn't it? And so, however it's done, whether we have the right plan and doing the right thing, we know that something has to be done. Now then, uh, here, they're clothed with divine righteousness. Golden girdles. And one of the four beasts, and by the way, the, the four beasts here are the living creatures that we talked about way back in the fourth chapter of Revelation and the fifth chapter. The four beasts... Are heavenly creatures. Now then, the beasts we've been studying in the 13th chapter were two wicked beasts, were they not? But here, these four beasts that's speaking of there in heaven in God's presence are really living creatures. So the beast, the word beast here, may be a little bit misleading unless you look at it in that light and with that, uh, uh, in that context. So one of the four beasts, or those living creatures that we saw previously, we won't go back and rehash all of that, but uh, one of them gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of wrath, the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. So these were bowls, or uh, low-cut vials, or bowls. And they were symbolizing God's wrath was full. Uh, remember in the Old Testament one time, uh, God withheld judgment upon the Amorites and he said this, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The cup of their judgment is not filled up yet. And when it gets full and overflowing, God will pour out that judgment. And it's just symbolical language showing showing that the wickedness of man was so great that God had seven different bowls of judgment or wrath. He was going to pour out upon those upon the earth who would refuse Him and who would worship the beast. Now then, those that refused uh, to worship the beast were those we just read of, right? They were glorified. But those that refuse God, He is going to judge. You see, there's no easy way out when you come to that tribulation period. Something's going to have to happen. And what's going to happen when you come to that time is nothing but judgment. And thank God that the saints of God of this day and age of grace will be out of here. You heard that. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And we won't even be here. Someone says, are you looking for the Antichrist? No, I'm looking for Christ. Not the Antichrist. I'll let people after I'm gone look for the Antichrist. I'll try to study about him here and warn people that refuse the Lord in this day and age of grace. But we're looking for... The Bible tells us that we're waiting for the coming of Christ. And so some people have their eyes in the wrong direction. And we make too big a to-do about what we're going to have to suffer. Well, the world is going to have to suffer. But those that receive the Lord are not going to have to. Uh, And those that receive the Lord during the tribulation period will be caught up. And they will be among that group. They will suffer. And they will even suffer at the cost of their lives. Many, In most every instance, uh, we're told that some of them will be protected and go on through the tribulation period to the end of it. A special protected group, but many that make a profession of faith and refuse the mark of the beast during that time, that great wicked Antichrist, will be judged, uh, or will be judged by the wickedness and be killed in that sense. But the others will be judged by the Lord, who refused the Lord. And that's the purpose of these judgments to be poured out upon the earth. Now then, let's look at it. It says uh, in verse uh, 7, And one of the four beasts, or living creatures, gave, gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God. So each one of these seven angels received a bowl, a, a vial, full of the wrath of God, or symbolical of his wrath. His wrath was filled up upon them, who liveth forever and ever. In verse 8, And the temple was filled with smoke. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. And the temple here filled with smoke was not the, the incense smoke that sometimes filled the temple when the, when the priests would burn incense. It was not that kind of smoke. This smoke was talking about uh, signifying the temple was no longer used for worship but for judgment. So it wouldn't be filled with smoke of incense that would be received up to God. But this is a smoke of that it was filled with because of God's power and God's glory and the fact that He was about to bring judgment upon the earth. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. No one could enter in the temple that is pictured here until all these plagues of judgments were poured out. Because, the, as we say, the smoke did not indicate uh, incense. It in, indicated the judgments of God. Now then, when you get to chapter 16, verse 1, notice what it says. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels. Now remember, there's a little bit of time has passed. Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. It's time to do it now. Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went. Now you have all of these pouring out their wrath. The first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. You see, God will judge those that take the mark of the beast. And those that refuse to take it, many of them will be killed by persecution, and we've already seen that they were taken up to heaven and they stand, uh, they've overcome. By the solid word of God, they stood faithful and they were taken up and they were uh, in God's presence in glory. That's 15, verse 2. They stood upon the sea of glass and they were, uh, they had harps, having the harps of God, and they were singing the song of deliverance, earthly deliverance and spiritual deliverance, we said in verse 3. All of these little words of hint are important to understand. Just like in verse 3, they sung the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Okay, Moses, the servant of God, if you put down earthly deliverance, and then the Lamb put down spiritual deliverance, you can see their condition. So they were actually taken up to heaven, and they were in the presence of God. Now then, when you get into the 16th chapter, verse 2, Let's read verse 2 again. I mean, yeah, verse 2. And the first wind, the first of these angels went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous, grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Remember, these are judgments for the earth. And this, is, this indicates one of the same judgments that, that uh, Moses poured out upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. In the Old Testament. In fact, if you read it, in Exodus 9, verses 9-11, through 11, let me read it for you. Exodus 9, verses 9-11, through 11, it says, And it, it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blames upon man and upon beast. And they took the ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a ball, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the balls, for the ball was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. See, these are uh, many of these that we find in this chapter, when these angels pour out their judgments upon the earth, are just somewhat like when Moses poured out his judgments upon Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians. And this is a correspondence here. Now look at verse 3. Hold your place where we're studying. Revelation 16, now verse 3. And the second angel... Here's the second one. There's seven. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man. As the blood of a dead man. And every living soul in the sea... uh, Every, every living soul died in the sea. You can find that in the book of Exodus chapter 7 verse 20. And also it's connected with the next verse. Let's read the fourth verse and then we'll uh, connect these two. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and, they, and fountains of waters and they became blood. So Exodus chapter 7, let me read it for you, verses 17 through 20. It says this. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. See, Moses did the same thing. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say, uh, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, upon their pools of water, and they that they may become blood; that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded, and he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned. To blood. You can go and read what it did to the fish, died, and so on and so forth. Isn't that what it says here? Revelation 16, verse 3 and 4. It says, Every living soul died in the sea, and the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. Someone says, well, all of this is spiritual. All of this is symbolical. Well, I'll, I'll admit that there are spiritual lessons to be learned and probably they will be learning them through these judgments that are literal and physical. But I have no reason to believe that there's not actual physical judgments, literal judgments that take place upon the earth. And and you know, you and I can have something literally happen to us and it has a spiritual lesson in it too. Just like you know if a fellow... Uh, says, well, I'm not going to give my tithes. And then you have something that costs you exactly the same amount as your tithe. Maybe that physical lesson is a spiritual lesson at the same time, huh? Sometimes that happens. I've heard of it. In fact, I've experienced it myself. And so when you experience it yourself, you learn the spiritual lesson with the physical lesson. So, uh, these things that are physically happening to these people, On the earth, when it does happen, what happens? We find that there's lessons that come to them of their need to repent and turn to God. Just like, uh, you know, the water turning to blood might get them to thinking about, you know, there's washing of water in God's Word, and there's the blood of the Lamb that I can be redeemed by, and this I've refused all the time. This I've refused. And yet the judgment came, didn't it? Let's go on. In verse 5, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. You know, some people question the righteousness of God and the judgments of God. You see, God is God and He can do as He pleases. That's That's the reason He's God. A lot of people say, Well, you know, I don't think He's fair. Well, you tell Him that. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. You know, when a, guy, when a man is in complete control, he more or less does as he pleases. But when God Almighty, righteous and holy as He is, and we already described the self-existent and eternal One, the strong and mighty One, the sustaining and nourishing One, and all of these various aspects of Lord God Almighty, we have no reason to question. Who shall say to Him that created, why have you made me thus? Paul presents the argument. We, we're not going to do that. So, He's going to teach people a lesson, and these recognize what does the angel and I heard the angel of the water say, thou He turned the waters into blood. Now look, he says in verse 5, and I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be. He speaks of the, the past, present, and future of the eternal God, and he says, Because thou hast judged thus, you're righteous in doing what you are doing. Remember we said they came clothed with, uh, with the golden girdles in chapter 15, verse 6. Their breasts were girded with golden girdles. Speaking of the divine righteousness that demanded judgment. And so when they start bringing down these judgments upon the world, upon the earth, and upon the wicked, they say, God, you're righteous in doing this. Well, they knew it all along, but they just restate it. That God is righteous in doing Look in verse uh, 6 now. For they have shed shed the blood of saints and prophets. And thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. See? What do we say about the spiritual lesson? They have shed the blood of saints and prophets because of their sin. And thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. You turn to Exodus 32 quickly. 19 and 20. Exodus 32, verses 19 and 20. This is a good uh, verse of Scripture to read. I want you to listen. And this is when Moses came down off the mount, and he had the two tables of stone that God had given him, the holy law, and the people had... Uh, sinned against God and broken all the commandments. And he had these holy commandments in his hand. In verse 19, It came to pass as soon as he came nigh to the camp that he saw the calf. They had made a golden calf to worship. Now listen to this. And he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. Because they had broken God's law, hadn't they? So Moses took these commandments and he threw them down and he broke them beneath the mount. By the way, God gave him some restored ones later. But he broke them to pieces and he took the calf, look at verse 20, he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire, now look, and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. They had to drink of the, of the idol of their idolatry, of their sin. He took the calf and he ground it to powder, strode it, started up on the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. He said, I'm going to make you sick of what you've done. And that's what, look back here now at our text. What does it say? In verse 6? 16, verse 6? It says, What? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. He made them drink of their violence toward the saints and toward the prophets. They had to drink of their sin. Now then, verse seven. You have a, a Revelation sixteen, verse seven. I hope I'm not carrying you too fast, but look at verse seven. And I heard another uh, another out of I heard another out of the altar say, "Even so, Lord God Almighty." Here you have it again. True and righteous are thy judgments. You see how it's restated. That God is just, He's true, He is righteous. And then it says in verse 8: And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And the men were scorched, they were burned, scorched, if you have a marginal reference, it says, burned, with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which had power, hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. Now then, The sun scorched them. Evidently, there was some way that when he poured out his uh, vial upon the sun, that God permitted the sun to be extra hot. We talk about someone getting out in the sun now, and they'll get sunburned. Imagine if it was say even five degrees hotter, or ten degrees hotter, or maybe a hundred degrees hotter—scorching sun. Some of you have been in the desert. I've been in places where it's pretty hot. But I've been in places where you put on a clean chambray shirt at 6 o'clock in the morning when you took a shower and by 8 o'clock you could wring water out of it. I mean literally. you see guys, the pictures of them, they just, their shirt would look like it was just water soaked. looked like they'd been through a, a rainstorm. But anyway, be that as it may, the judgment was from the heat of the sun. Now, the children of Israel had protection from the sun. God gave them in the wilderness a pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the sun. And a pillar of fire by night to guide them in the way. If you have God's protection, everything's okay. But if you are depending upon you getting along without God and thinking that God doesn't have power to judge, you're mistaken. Because God can judge. It says, Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed. What did it do to them? Did it make them repent? No. And blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. Have you ever heard the old story that says that if uh, God makes His judgment severe enough, people will repent? Not so. Sometimes they harden their hearts, just like on Pharaoh. Oh, Pharaoh and and, uh, when Moses had the plagues and The power to bring plagues and judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the purpose was to get Pharaoh to to repent and permit the children of Israel to be delivered, to let them go. And he wouldn't do it. And uh, every once in a while it'd get so hot for him, he'd say, Well, you know, I have sinned. And he said, Moses, take away the plagues. Take away the plagues. One time there was frogs all over. The plague of frogs. And I go back and read it. It's in the context of one of those that we read a little bit ago. God sent frogs all over the land. Unclean. By the way, we'll have frogs in this in the next few verses. Typical of the unclean. And in many ways, and we cannot go back and give you all the details of how they're typical of the unclean. But the, by the way, there were unclean animals as well. But let me give you this. But th- there was a plague of frogs all over the land. And uh, Pharaoh says, I've sinned. And he says, Moses, pray unto God. Get him to remove the frogs. You know what old Pharaoh said? Moses said to Pharaoh, he says, when? He says, tomorrow. One more night with the frogs. You know, a lot of people are going to repent of their sin. But not now, preacher, while you're preaching. Not when you give the invitation. Uh, Not today. I want to put that off. There's going to be a day I'll do that. And a lot of people are so concerned about not uh, yielding their pride and becoming humble before God and accepting Christ, joining the church, becoming a member, lining up with God's people, that they get so uh, close and yet they will not do it. Because of what? They want to spend one more night with the frogs. or just certain sins they can't give up. They just say, well now preacher, if I joined the church, you'd expect me. Yeah, I would. God would expect more than that. Wouldn't He? God would expect more than that. So, don't ever think that you're you're, uh, fooling anyone but yourself. You're not fooling the preacher, and you're certainly not fooling God. Because when you get right with God, you're willing to say, Lord, I want you to have your own way in my life. I want to live a Christian life. And I want to serve God and and you'll, you'll come into the place that you need to be in, in your spiritual relationship. Alright, let's look at this quickly, uh, if you will. I want to try to go on. It says um, in verse 10, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat. And by the way, the seat here is the throne. The seat of the beast. Back earlier in the passages of Scripture, Even in the letters to the churches, well, it says where Satan's seat is, or Satan's throne is, and the word "seat" here means his throne. So the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. He's getting right down to the to the uh, one that whose kingdom uh, needs to be hit with judgment, and his kingdom was full of darkness. This was another judgment was that was upon. Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians, there was a darkness that could be felt, if you remember. And at the same time, the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. But look, here is not only the, the darkness, but it says, For they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not, notice again, and repented not of their deeds. Then doesn't make any difference what God did. They still didn't repent. Now look at verse 12, "And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be uh, prepared. So he's opening up a way. The Euphrates was a boundary line. And this, these waters were dried up, so the kings of the east or the sunrise, by the way some have said it could be from china, japan or those eastern uh, many of those smaller eastern nations that all the hordes great huge numbers how many million people do they have in their armies they could come against and by the way it's preparing for that battle of armageddon and god is saying okay and he'll move upon their hearts to come against his people and then he he will come and defeat them as they come against his people We're going to find that as we progress along. We just have to state it now and go on. But the battle of Armageddon will take place. And all these nations will gather against God's people. And when they do, God is going to uh, bring judgment. Let me see if I can find one quickly in the book of uh, Zechariah. Okay, let me read Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in a siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day, listen verse 3, And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. And so God is going to make the way for the... When this angel, the sixth angel, pours out uh, the vial, back in our text, 16, verse 12, upon the river Euphrates, he's going to make the way of the kings of the east, might be prepared that they can approach and come in against uh, his people. Now, verse 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Here's the unclean. Spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon that is Satan, and the beast and out of the mouth of the beast, this is the head of the uh, the empire, the political beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, which is the false prophet and is the personal he is the personal antichrist i 've stated my convictions about that in earlier uh, dealings in the thirteenth chapter of the Two beasts. One rises up out of the sea of nations. Some say even the Mediterranean area. And that will be symbolical of the emperor, uh, of the revived Roman Empire. And we're told in the book of Daniel, and we gave you some evidence of that in the 13th chapter of Revelation, that will come into existence during the tribulation period. And then another one, Revelation 13, I believe it's verse 11, is it? Uh, Where you see a beast rise up out of the land. Yes. And he has two horns like a lamb and and he spake as a dragon. And this is the false prophet. And he is also the Antichrist. And when I stated my convictions about that one evening, I want you to know that some of the best scholars, even though you'll find a division, some will say that first beast is the Antichrist and the second one is just his uh, co-worker or whatever uh, and agrees with him. But... The reason I gave you what I did is because...